Welcome to Hope Talks, Stories of Transformation. Hope Talks is a project of David's United Church of Christ in Canal Winchester, Ohio, and dedicated to providing stories with different perspectives of hope. This is Patty Houston Home. My guest today is Douglas Alum. Douglas is talking to us 7,500 miles away from his village of Makono in Uganda, Africa. Douglas, who is often called by his other name, Alum, is 34 years old. He has just published his first book. It's called The Captive, My 240 Days with the LRA Rebels. It's a compelling account about how the Lord's resistance are in a kidnapped him when he was 11 years old. Over the years, this particular terrorist group has kidnapped 30,000 children. Many never escape. We're going to focus most of our discussion on the book and where hope enters in. But Douglas, let's first learn a little bit about you. And it's December 31st, 2020. So Happy New Year, Douglas. Uh, Happy New Year, buddy. Thank you so much for having me on uh, this platform. Um, my family and I really had a very wonderful Christmas time, and we send my, our sincere regards to you. When I talk about my family, it's um, about my wife, Agnes Abe, and my children, Victor and Daphne, who are seven and four, respectively. So, Douglas, tell us a little bit about uh, your education and what you're doing now. Oh, yes. I am right now. I am a student, a master's student at Uganda Christian University. I am studying a master's in strategic communication. Um, yeah, but outside that, I also freelance. I write uh, for the Uganda Christian University Partners, a not non-profit based in Pennsylvania. So we're speaking in English today, but how many languages do you speak? Oh, <laughs> I think a lot. I speak actually my mother tongue. I speak English. I know a bit of Swahili. Um, I, I know a bit of Luganda, which is spoken in central Uganda here. Um, and uh, I know Rinyankole a bit of it. I'm even learning Spanish. And I am relearning Spanish. So one day, one day, Douglas, you and I will speak in Spanish together. All right, please. I can't wait for that day. Me too. So Douglas, it's been my pleasure to work with you uh, as a journalist and to actually eat a meal in your house with your lovely family in Makono. I've also visited the village of Gulu, where you were born and where you were captured by the LRA. So can you describe Gulu for us, for many people who've never been there? Allow me to start by saying thank you for, for paying a visit to my home. That is how we as a Jolly people do it. When you have a friend, you show them where you live and you make sure you feed them. Um, well, uh, going back to your question, I am an Acholi by tribe. Uh, Acholi is a Nilotic uh, uh, Luo-speaking group, which uh, history says we originated from, I think, South Sudan. Um, we live in Gulu, largely, um, in the northern part of Uganda. Gulu is about 400 kilometers away from Mukono, where I am now. 
that is about uh, 300 miles away. So, yeah. Did you have electricity when you were growing up? Uh, no, actually, I, I think I got to know about electricity when I was in my teenage, maybe 14, 15, 16. So I'm thinking about uh, that day, 23 years ago, this April, 2021, when you were kidnapped from your home and it was probably dark and there was no electricity. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that moment at age 11 when you were captured and, uh, and what that was like? Well, it, uh, that moment was, was scary if I can say it, I don't know whether that's the best word, but it, it was really scary because it's something I didn't anticipate. Um, I'd gone to bed with some other children who, okay, we, we didn't have enough space in our house, so we would sleep in a, a deep, in a hut, which is located far away from our house, but with our other children from the neighborhood. So I went to bed uh, late because my mom had prepared food late. I found the other children were already asleep. And when I got in, uh, shortly before I even fell asleep, I had people walking at the back at the uh, at the backyard, and then they knocked the door. I I refused to open, and then they kicked it open, and they they forced me outside. You know, made me sit on wet ground because rain it had rained that evening and a lot of things happened they they removed my t-shirt i was putting on a t-shirt they they removed it and used it tie my hands to the back and then uh sit on the ground then after bringing my colleagues out they they brought a rope and tied it a long rope they tied it uh, uh, around all our waist and made us to form a line which line they then used to, to, to drive us. Like if you read in the book, I called it a train because you know we were connect, connected like the train is connected. So we would not easily escape. Did you have time to get your shoes? No, actually I, 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 I had not put even on my shoes. Well, I had a pair of shoes, but I would rarely put on it. In my village, shoes were shoes were a sort of rarity. You wouldn't put on your shoes outside big days or unless you are going somewhere very important. And besides, most people did not have shoes, so it was a normal thing to walk on barefoot. So what did you know about the Lord's Resistance Army before, and what did you learn about them during that experience? Well, I, I, I only knew them as a rebel group fighting against the government of Uganda. And that was it. Uh, when I was taken there, I, I actually learned about a lot of things that they were doing because we were told about the, the reason why they were fighting, you know, and then we were engaged in doing a lot of funny things, looting from people, you know. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of things. And I was able to see, to suffer and also witness a lot of other children suffer and others even got killed before my eyes. So 
it was a very disturbing moment. So why do they do it? And why do they recruit children to help them do it? Um, actually, I, I think the reason they used, they, they recruited more, more of children into their service was because it was easier for them to control children. First of all, if you took a child from, from a village and you, you moved them to another village, it's harder for them to locate their home village, you know, because they're not experienced, they're not well-traveled, so they cannot easily, besides, they can be easily intimidated and they can easily follow instructions. And I think that's what they were up, up to. So they had to use children because they knew that if they took adults, adults would, would easily maybe escape from them. And so they will just keep lacking the human resource. Did they give you food? Well, uh, yeah, we had food. We had food, but sometimes you struggle to get the, you, in most cases, actually, you struggle to get the food because you have to be, the, you have to, you know, rate villages and raid people's gardens and, you know, move long distances to look for food and back. So, yeah, if you get it, then you have enough uh, of which that is even not sustainable because you could go on a day and then before one week, considering the population size, because not everyone would go to look for food. So within a short period of time, the food is over and then you have to move again. Sometimes by the time you are going, there is already completely nothing in stock. So you are going on empty stomach and you are walking almost like the whole day on an empty stomach. So it was really tough time. I found it uh, interesting in your book, you talked about uh carrying a lot of heavy things and walking barefooted, not knowing where you were. Uh, was there some point that you believed that what the LRA was doing was, was right? No, I actually didn't believe. And all along, I wished I could, I could, I could actually leave them. I didn't believe what they were doing was right because if what you do is to make other people suffer and you're not caring about their lives, you cannot say you're you are fighting for me when you're making me to suffer and you are threatening to kill me or you're killing people around me. So I, I didn't feel that was right. Besides culturally where I grew up, it was most of the things that they, they were doing were not acceptable in society because taking somebody's property without their permission. That is theft. It's not acceptable in the cultural setting. Killing was the worst thing, because if you killed a person, it was believed that you could easily even uh, lose your sanity, you know? And there are lots of things, even punishment, that were associated with doing such kind of things. So what I could never feel that what they were doing was right. What was the worst thing that they required you to do? Oh, they actually made us to, you know, they made us to take a life. We were forced to kill a man who was, I presume was about uh, 40 years. Um, I cannot tell why 
who have made to kill him, but who are just told to do it and who are forced. And people were lining behind us with guns, threatening to, to shoot us if we did not, you know, we did not uh, kill the man. So you were 11 years old and you were forced to kill a man. Uh, do you think about that today? Yes, I think about it a lot because that is something that I don't think um, will ever leave me because every time I think about that incident, I think about that man, and, you know. I vividly can see his face in my memory. I can see the condition it was. He really, he, he really needed to be helped, but instead of helping, we, we had to take his life, so. So after 240 days, uh, age, age 11, maybe you turned 12 during that 240 days, uh, without giving too much away from your book, uh, tell us about how you escaped. Well, I, I don't want to say I really escaped, but I, was, I would call that destiny was designed for me because I was on a guarding duty. I had been on guarding duty like several times, but that fateful day we had traveled a long distance to look for food and we failed to get it. And as we were trying to move to maybe another place where we could easily get food, we decided to rest and I was sent to, to, to guard. But I had taken days without bathing. So I was like, uh, let me first leave my duty station for a short while. I go and take a, a bath. Then within that period was when the government forces, the UPDF attacked our camp, uh, our temporary camp. And then they started firing and all my colleagues ran away and left me. So I was left in a place I didn't know. I didn't know where to start from, like how to locate um, where home was. At that time, I felt I needed to get home, but because I didn't know home, I felt my life was also at risk. I felt I was so vulnerable that even wild animals could easily, you know, find me and eat me. But even if the government soldiers also find me, probably I would be at risk. And if I landed in the hands of another rebel group, I would probably face the fate of that man whose life we took, you know? So it was a very tricky moment for me, but then I had to walk with faith until, you know, after about two days, I found my way into an internally displaced people's camp. Uh, when I talk about internally displaced people camp, I talk about, uh, I mean, a sort of concentration camp. Because back in the days, in the 90s, the government of Uganda, made people in our region to leave their homes and move to like trading centers and gather there. People built their huts where they were living. So that particular, um, that particular camp had, uh, let me say, at least over 3,000 families gathered in that same area. The essence was that the villages were operational areas for the what for the rebels and they needed to track them down so it was easier for them to to you know to to track the rebels from the villages without uh 
without the people living in their homes. Well, and it's my understanding those uh, camps were also designed to help people who were once captured by terrorist groups to um, uh, understand their anger and get rid of that and and be uh, better prepared to go back into the environment that they left. Is that correct? Um, well, there were specific centers that were done. I, I, I don't know whether you know about World Vision, but World Vision organized, uh, had their separate center where they, they especially catered for older people, uh, people, let's say from 20 upwards, and they would rehabilitate them from such centers before taking them back to, to their respective homes. But uh, a person like me who was a teenager were taken to another center called uh, Gulu, yeah, Gulu Support the Children's Home Organization Center. It was, in short, it was called Gusko Center. Yes, I guess by that time you were almost uh, 13, so you would have been a teenager. And I think it's interesting that you uh, were able to um, get away because you were on guard duty and then you decided to go down into a stream and take a bath. Uh, and then the entire camp was raided by the government. Uh, so you were, you were able to, to get away in that regard. So what was it like the first time you saw your mother and father? Oh, that was, that was really, I don't know whether I can properly describe that moment, but it was, and I should call it fulfilling. It was the most happy moment. I think uh, one of the most happiest moments I ever had because the life I was already in, I didn't have any hope of you know, seeing my family again. But there I was seeing them and, you know, able to meet them. We cried, like we cried that years of joy just too much. So Douglas, you started writing the book in 2011. Uh, that was before we met. Uh, why did you decide to tell your story after all these years? Uh, what do you want people to walk away from with this story? Um, the thing is, first of all, I I looked at the story as being a sort of relief, you know, because what I what I had gone through had put a lot of anger in me, and I needed to get it out. And even some of those memories, I needed to get them out. And I thought telling the story was one of the ways of, you know, getting that kind of feeling out. So I felt, well, let me just tell the story. I first of all started doing it as a class assignment, and then I kept developing it. I told it, I think, during the course of my studies, I told it like three times, but uh, most of the times they were not complete. Um, but when I left school was when I had the opportunity to develop it and finish it. So... Where do you think people will find hope in this story, or where do you find hope in this My, story? Um, first of all, where people find hope is that looking at what children go through 
people should uh, um, like, especially for the people of Northern Uganda, many of them have had that mindset that every child who has been captured is robbed. If they have not returned, then they are already dead. Because at the time I returned, I found when my family already was told that I was dead and they were trying to, to, to organize a funeral service for me, I think just about four or five months before I, uh, after, um, for the time I returned. So um, I, I think families can have hope that uh, not every child who is not yet back is already dead. Probably some of them are still somewhere. But again, to the general, to, to the world at large, my hope is that people in the world will read that book and act, uh, especially towards making the world a peaceful environment. I believe no one in this world would want their children to become orphaned. No one would want their children to be captured and subjected to the kind of sufferings we, we underwent. So my call, if you read the last bit of the of, 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 of the book, my appeal is that the world should act. Because we know that there are people who are making weapons, there are people who are selling weapons, and how do they sell those weapons? Why do they make those weapons? Who sells them? Who makes them for what purpose? If we are able to address that, because we, you, you, we all know that the world is fighting drug, drug trafficking. And I think that's the same thing that should be done with guns. Because if guns are being sold to warlords to cause war and make people, you know, force people to, 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 uh, to, to, to suffer, force people to migrate, like at the moment the world is struggling with, you know, migration issues. So, so uh, with that kind of uh, setting, if we want to solve the issue of uh, immigration and all those other things, we need to first of all address the issues of guns. Why are they being made and supplied to everyone to cause war and disorganize the other parts of the world and make people to you know, run away from their homes, make them to suffer unnecessarily when they are only crying is only being born in that particular setting where the war is taking place. So these are really good points, Douglas, especially as the world, including United States and Uganda, are in the middle of a pandemic. And Uganda, uh, you're in, in the middle of some kind of civil unrest due to your upcoming presidential election in January of 2021. So. Um, as you look at all of this, and I can hear uh, noise and confusion in the background as we talk, you know, uh, where do you see hope for your children, your young children? Well, I, I don't know what the destiny has for them, but uh, like any other parent, I really want the best for my children. Um, yeah, my, my daughter told me she wants to, she wants to, uh, be a pilot, and I think I I want to I want to do that. I want to help her to pursue her dream. My son, well, he's he's still in a lot of confusion. Of course, being at that small age, he wants to be a soldier, and then he wants to be a soccer player, and you know all those things. 
but I believe at some point he will find somewhere to stand and I need to be there as a parent to support them so that they pursue their dream and you know they have a successful future. Well, thank you, Douglas. Or in Luganda, we would say Webele Nyo. Uh, how do you say thank you in your mother tongue? Afoyo Matek. Afoyo. I got the first part. I got the first part. Yes. Afoyo Matek. <laughs> I think Uganda has maybe 50 different languages. So. Yeah, we have too many languages. We have a lot of languages. There's so much more we could talk about, uh, but I'm going to wrap us up and I. I thank you so very much for sharing. I am Patty Houston Holm. Our guest today has been Douglas Olam in Uganda. His book, The Captive, My 240 Days with the LRA Rebels, is available in paperback and an e-version through Amazon. Thank you for listening to this segment of Hope Talks. I hope you join us again. And please encourage others to listen and check out other David's United Church of Christ programs at davidsucc.net. It is our hope that your day is filled with hope. Thank you.